Welcome to the Texas News Podcast, where we dive into all things Texas politics and the future of independence in the state of Texas. On today's show, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the Texas First Pledge. We're going to tell you everything you need to know about it, what political candidates have pledged their support, and we're going to be joined by one of those pledge signers, Mitch Little, to learn about his race. So don't go anywhere. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to the Texas News Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in week after week. We've got a great one for you today uh, because we're going to be talking about something, oddly enough, uh, literally just had a, a visit right before this taping. We just had a, a, uh, an online webinar uh, for our volunteers dealing with this very topic, right? The Texas First pledge. Uh, and it's it's a, a key component of our strategy to advance Texas independence uh, in the TNM. And so we are going to be talking about that. And, and we're going to give you a little bit of an overview because I think uh, it's odd because I think people uh, are a little shocked when they first come across the pledge. And, uh, and that really extends to folks like Oh, I don't know, the mainstream media. I'll share a little story about that with you. But let's get started, right? Let's talk about what the Texas First Pledge is and where it came from. So for many years, the, the TNM had been uh, really approached by candidates that were running for office. And they said, look, I, I support what you guys are doing. Uh, I, I want to have a way to show uh, that support and show you guys that that I support the same goals that you support. Uh, and the TNM handled it over the years in, in very different ways. Uh, but I, I will tell you the, the actual genesis of this goes back to the year 2011. Wow, let's jump in Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine. Okay. But back in 2011, uh, some of you may know Claver Kamau Imani. He uh, spoke at the Texit conference. Uh, he was also the founder of an organization called Raging Elephants. Okay. Now, Raging Elephants as an organization, uh, what they did was they went out and did, uh, I guess you would call it connecting the conservative movement it, with communities of color right? Because uh, Claver was a pastor and, and outreach was kind of his thing. So he founded this organization to basically say, look, let's start voting with our uh, values. Let's vote for candidates that align with our values. And so in, in the lead up to 2011, there was a, a, a general sense that there was this disconnect that had begun to develop between the Texas legislature and and the electorate, right? And Claver's pitch, I'm not going to try to speak for him, but Claver's uh, pitch was essentially, look, uh, if, if we're going to challenge the political establishment, we're going to have to raise up candidates from the grassroots to challenge as many of these people as possible, to go in and challenge the political establishment. Because there was a frustration that things were not getting done, things that um, Texas voters had readily expressed, but it was not bearing fruit by electing the same old folks. So with Raging Elephants, uh, Claver approached the TNM. We did not know each other before then, 
Uh, but I can remember uh, being at this uh, little Chinese restaurant in, in Beaumont where we met and him making the case. He said, look, we're launching this effort. It's called Stampede 2012. Uh, and what we're doing is we're looking to recruit candidates to make uh, to make a run at these establishment politicians that just don't care about what the voters of Texas want. And, uh, you know, he wanted the TNM to join this coalition of grassroots organizations and, and begin to help recruit candidates and, and mobilize people. And in fact, you know, we, we did say yes, but that's one of the reasons, some of you may know this, may not, it's one of the reasons that I actually ran for state representative back in the 2012 cycle. Uh, because my, my personal mantra has always been, uh, I, I will never ask people in the TNM to do something that I have not done or will not do or am not doing, right? I mean, that's just the bottom line. That's how, that's a, a leadership example. Uh, but my, my message to Claver was, that's fine, but I'm not going to ask any of our people to run unless I do it myself. And, and indeed I did. I, I filed and ran against a, uh, a party flipper, Alan Ritter. Uh, in, in, in that race. And it was great experience. I'm not knocking it. Obviously didn't win. Um, but that was really where that effort began. We wound up recruiting several candidates out of the TNM to make runs uh, for state representative and state senator. And then uh, beyond that, it, it became this, this, I guess, sort of this repeating cycle for us where every election cycle, we would be approached by people within the organization that wanted to run or people that were running that came across the organization said, hey, I support what you guys are doing. And so over the years, uh, from election cycle to election cycle, the TNM approached things differently, right? So uh, there was one, I think it was about four cycles back, where uh, every candidate, uh, we sent an invitation out, we had them fill out a questionnaire, and then we made those questionnaires available to members of the TNM, and then the members got to vote, endorse or not endorse. And the thing about it that was quite interesting was is that we omitted party affiliation from the form. So we knew it was submitted, but when it was displayed, there was no party affiliation because we wanted people to be able to make their decisions based off of what the candidates actually said, right? Not just because they had a party label, but because of their answer to, in your view, uh, explain Article 1, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution. Um, you know, explain Article 1, Section 1. We, we wanted the candidates to stand on their own in front of, in front of our folks. And so you, wind up, you wound up in that cycle with some interesting endorsements from our folks. Uh, and, and I mean, it was probably, probably one of the coolest experiences that I've had in the TNM was watching that process play out. But as we progressed, um, last cycle, we knew that we needed a, a, a way for candidates to be held accountable, to essentially say, look, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for an endorsement, but what I am looking to do is give a, 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 true uh, showing of my my alignment with the TNM's values and, and mission. And so the Texas first pledge was born. 
Uh, and so, it, you know, we have it, and I know I've talked about it on this podcast before, but if you go to taketexasback.com, it, it, w- it became part of that Take Texas Back effort. Because, again, just like in 2011, there's this tremendous sense of a disconnect between the political establishment and the electorate. Uh, people feel more disenfranchised now than they ever have. And we're seeing that play out in Texas politics with this, uh, what has turned into an open GOP civil war here in Texas. Uh, the people are fed up. And so, you know, you, you come into this cycle with the most contested primary in, in Texas history, I believe. And so it's, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing, let, let me just let me just put it this way because I want you to understand it's very difficult to try to encapsulate all of this on a single podcast and so but but I just want you to understand it, it really is an amazing show that we are at this stage in Texas politics where we are seeing such a public uprising against the political establishment. I mean it's th- this is long overdue, right? Don't get me wrong. It's not a shock to us. It's long overdue, but it's important to see now that that it's it's become open. This open challenge. I mean, the Stampede 2012 effort was open as well. But I'm going to tell you, there was not an intensity in 2012 like there is in 2023 and 2024. I mean, it, it is just about as as intense as you can get in Texas politics. So last cycle, we did launch the Texas First Pledge, and it's it's quite simple. You go to taketexasback.com and, and look at the pledge. And, and essentially what candidates are pledging uh, are, some, are, are some really, I think, non-controversial things for elected representatives. Number one, they have to pledge that they support the rights guaranteed in Article One, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution. What does that say? All political power is inherent in the people, and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. And it says that the people have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government in such manner as they may think expedient. Okay, so Article 1, Section 2 is in the Constitution, and and it grants us the ability, not grants, Scratch that. That's that is that is not the way that it works. It acknowledges the inalienable right of the people to self-government, to choose their government, how they are governed, and, and that not just uh, it doesn't just play to our relationship with the federal government and the Texas issue, but a, across every measure. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I was fond of saying for many years is, look, if they don't represent you then they cannot be allowed to represent you, right? That's just the foundation of self-government, okay? But it also goes on to essentially say that that if it is within their purview, that they will support any resolution or call or legislation to put the question of Texas becoming an independent nation to a vote of the people. They will support that. That is a pledge that they will support that. And then... If they are in a position to do so, and the people of Texas vote to do that, then ultimately they will do everything in their power to carry out the will of the people. They are pledging to put 
Texas and Texans first. And so it is a very simple and straightforward pledge. And last cycle, when we launched it, uh, we had well over 100 candidates sign the pledge. And, and again, part of our strategy, part of our discussion, part of our push has always been, we believe that candidates and elected should put Texas first from the state house to the schoolhouse, right? So the pledge isn't just for legislators. It is for anyone. <clears throat> it is for anyone who is, uh, is seeking to represent the people of Texas. Because frankly, the people of Texas are sick and tired of having their interests considered last, right? So this, this idea that somehow Texans voting in their own self-interest is somehow illegal or immoral is just moronic, right? So it, it, was, it was an interesting cycle, right? If you go look at TakeTexasBack.com and you look at the pledge candidates, what you're going to see are candidates and electeds that have, I mean, you had candidates that ran that didn't win. You had candidates that ran that did win. You had elected officials uh, at, at every level that have signed that pledge, including the sitting ag commissioner, Sid Miller, right? Uh, you've got uh, people in, that have run for office and, and are holding positions as county chairs and political parties or precinct chairs. It is a, a broad pledge that essentially says that anyone that who has signed it that is in an elected position should use their elected position to put Texans first. I mean, what what a radical concept, right? I mean, however, and this is where I get to share the wonderful story of what happened right after the primaries last time, uh, you know, we've not kept it a secret. And so we had this broad swath of candidates who, who signed it, including Sid Miller, right? Um, but all of Abbott's, uh, Greg Abbott's main primary challenger signed it. I mean, it was, it, it was impressive. Just go look at the list because even after they sign it, we still hold their name on there. But right after the primaries, I get this phone call from a man named Dave Lieber. Now, some of you guys may not know who he is, uh, but Dave Lieber, if you're from the Dallas area and read the Dallas Morning News, uh, Dave Lieber is known as the watchdog, right? He's the guy who is out there giving the consumer alerts or, you know, if gas stations are screwing people, you know, whatever it is. That's that's He's the watchdog. Well, he happens to come across the pledge, and he happens to come across the list of people who had signed it. And you you would have thought that somebody poured a, a bucket of water on the witch in the Wizard of Oz. I mean, full on freak out mode. As a matter of fact, there's a uh, an article that he wrote about it that may, I don't know, it was behind the paywall initially on the Dallas Morning News. I'm not encouraging you to pay money to the Dallas Morning News, but maybe they've review, removed it from the paywall. Who knows? Uh, but I mean, he he was just, you could just tell that he was in freakout mode because well over a hundred candidates at at every level, like I said, from the state house to the schoolhouse, including sitting elected officials, people that that won their races, had signed this thing. You know, uh, several members of the state board of education had signed the pledge. I mean, just incredible meltdown. And he's like, "How how come I haven't heard about this?" It's like, don't blame us. We're we're not keeping it a secret. 
why don't you speak with your colleagues in the media who have refused to cover this issue? This is not news to people who are paying attention, right? Uh, it's just the bottom line. So, you know, watching watching mainstream media flip out over everyone who had signed that pledge has been great. And and look, this cycle has been phenomenal, right? Uh, it, we've we've gotten um, several of the candidates at the legislative level. And granted, you know, this is one of those off years where you don't have everything on the ballot. Last last cycle was uh, right after redistricting, which meant that everything was on the ballot. Um, but I mean, we've got massive numbers of candidates and we haven't even officially sent out the invitation yet. These are candidates that are coming to us and saying, you know what, uh, I'm in or candidates that ran last cycle that said uh, that didn't win, that said, I will not be deterred. Uh, I will go in there and I will challenge. Many of these candidates have been endorsed by either Greg Abbott, the sitting governor or Ken Paxton, the sitting attorney general. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to, when these guys figure it out, when the media decide to latch onto that, uh, man, oh, man, oh, man, are they going to have a freak out? It'll probably make Dave Lieber's freak out uh, look like just a, a mild panic attack. I mean, it's just the way it is. But uh, as I said earlier, look, if you want to find out who has signed it, uh, head over to TakeTexasBack.com, hit the pledged candidates link, and uh, go go look. Um, they are you can sort it by status if they're candidates, if they're office holders. Uh, you can do it by particular office they're running for, by district. Uh, but go take a look. Uh, look at people in your county. You know, look for your county. Look for your house district. Look for your senate district. And if you don't know what senate district or house district you're in. Uh, go go look that up. Uh, one of the things that we do when you register support at the TNL is is we map you to those districts and we make those numbers available. But look, you can go to uh, any of the state government websites. You know, just go search for you know find my representative in Texas or something like that. You'll you'll be able to find it. But um, I would encourage you guys to go to takeTexasBack.com, find candidates that have signed the pledge. Uh, that are in, that you can vote for and reach out to them and ask them how, how you can help. You know, can you donate five bucks? Can you donate 10 bucks? Can you block walk for them? Can you put a sign in your yard? Help these guys out uh, because they're going to need all the help they can get. This is part of the battle in fighting against an entrenched political establishment. You know, we have to pitch in and we have to help any way that we can. So uh, be sure to check that out. And speaking of Texas First Pledge Signers, uh, we are very, very proud to welcome to the podcast um, what, one, of my, one of my new favorite people, uh, Mitch Little. You guys, if you paid any attention whatsoever to the Paxton impeachment trial, uh, you, you saw him and you probably got as excited as we did when he stepped up to bat because uh, he's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm just not going to lie. But uh, anyway, Mitch stepped right out of the Senate chambers and right into the fray. Uh, he is running for state representative. And uh, I, uh, Mitch, let me just go ahead and welcome you to the Texas News Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's so good to see you face-to-face -face here on this uh, on this podcast. And I know that you have a lot of people who are very interested in what you have to say. So I'm, I'm very thankful to be a part of it. 
Wait, wait a minute. Am I your guest or are you my guest? Because no, I, you're not... I'm your guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, super. Well, look, let's, you know, let's go into it. I mean, we've got, we've had some conversation um, ahead of this. And, and I got to tell you, um, watching, watching your work uh, during the, the, the impeachment uh, trial was just, was just phenomenal. Um, but now, now we're now we're stepping out uh, of the, uh, the the mess that I'm pretty sure that you you got to see there, kind of the dysfunction in the Texas legislature, and, and you're stepping up to to do something concrete about it. Um, first off, tell everyone what what district you're running for, or who's the incumbent there, uh, and then we'll get into some of the more nitty gritty about the campaign and why you decided to run. Yeah, sure. I'm running. Uh... I'm running to replace Cronda Timish as the representative of House District 65 that covers Louisville, Highland Village, uh, parts of Carrollton, Justin, Argyle, Bartonville, Double Oak, and all the people who live there. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, never thought that I would be doing this, Daniel. And um, really, like a lot of people who, and I'm sure stepped into your movement, um, felt a call and, and the call is really for reform. You know, I, I had the, I had one of the great joys of my life representing the attorney general in his impeachment proceeding. Um, but I don't think it was one of the great joys of his life. And, um, we're talking about a state legislature basically writing a blank check to weaponize government against a statewide Republican official. Uh, we found out a week ago that the Texas legislature spent tens of thousands of dollars with a PR firm tens of thousands of our dollars, taxpayer dollars, with a PR firm to shape the public narrative at the same time we were under a gag order and even expended those efforts after the impeachment was over. I mean, nothing about this makes sense. We still don't have a complete accounting of how much it cost you and me. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I can remember when uh, when the House released its preliminary numbers. Uh, I think it was $4.3 million. Uh, and I had to go out there to social media and convert it into a currency that apparently the Texas House understands. That's like 172,000 bottles of Maker's Mark bourbon. You know, that's that's currency that those guys would understand. So, we know one person understands that currency, right? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, except that alcohol it may impair math skills. Uh, it apparently <laughs> uh, impairs legislative skills. But, you know, Mitch, I, I mean, look, what, what you just hit on right there, uh, I, I think it's something... That, that people that are listening to this or watching this right now are, are going to be thinking. No, the first thing they're going to be thinking is, oh, my, why didn't Mitch live in uh, Jeff Leach's district? I mean, that's going to be their first thing. Um, but but the second thing that, that they're going to be thinking is, look, you know, this is stuff that we've heard all the time. You know, we're, we're hearing and really feeling in a concrete way this massive disconnect between the people and an entrenched political establishment, and you know you got a you got a front row seat. I mean, how how aware of that disconnect would you say you were before the the, the Paxton impeachment um, versus now? Wow. Um, so I got a crash course in Texas politics this yeah. year. Um, I I gave a talk last night at my kickoff. We had over two hundred people at my campaign kickoff last night, and. Uh, the title of it was things that I learned while I was in Austin. Um, 
the the first thing that I learned when I was in Austin is that nothing is ever anyone's fault. So you look at this impeachment, no one's apologized for it. No one said, man, that process was rushed. We didn't get the right people. We, we denied the attorney general due process. It's not anybody's fault. No one has ever said, I, you know, this was my idea and it was a bad one and let's not ever do that again. Uh, it's not anybody's fault that we don't have school choice. It's not anybody's fault that, I mean, we can just run down the list. It's not anybody's fault that we had four special sessions in the legislature that um, where we were trying to accomplish things we should have accomplished in the, the general session, the regular right. session. Um, you know, the second thing that I learned while I was in Austin for the impeachment is really that they don't need us. They don't need our money. They don't really need our uh, visible support. There is so much money flowing into the legislature from political action committees, um, from special interest groups, from lobbyists, that they're really decoupled from the people of their district. Yeah. Um, to give to give you a good example, I mean, my opponent has been running for office at at the state level since about 2020, wow. and she's raised six hundred thousand dollars from Texans for lawsuit reform, and I don't think she's had a gift of over ten thousand dollars from anybody in her district. Right. So there is a decoupling that's going on, and you know the last the last thing I learned in Austin is they really treat your money like it's their money. I mean, at the same time when uh, Texans are really struggling to make ends meet. The The state budget is ballooning. It was an historic increase the last session. They're spending money like it's going out of style. And so I, as you see these things, what it really amounts to is what I'll call the federalization of Texas government. The Texas government is starting to look by contagion more like the federal government does, where we have politicians, representatives, senators, statewide officials who are more concerned with raising money from special interests than they are relating to identifying with and representing the people who send them there. There's there's a great divorce that's going on between the grassroots and a lot of these representatives who voted for impeachment. So when I when I say that the impeachment is just a symptom, it's not the disease. The disease is this great divorce between the, the politicians and the people who represent them. We can reform that. We can reform that. We need to have our public officials more concerned with advancing conservative legislative priorities than they are advancing the priorities of the people who give them money. Yeah, I mean, I, ironic, um, you know, that, um, I mean, ha how, how beyond the pale is it that we ask our elected officials to put Texas and Texans first? I mean, it just... You know, it's just a weird thing. Um, but, you know, it's something I've said, and, and it's interesting you bring this up, something I've said for a long time is the problem with the political establishment in Austin is they treat state government like a, a AAA ball club for the federal government. Um, you know, they, these guys, a, a lot of them have federal office aspirations. And so the only thing they know how to do is they flip on C-SPAN and say, hey, these guys can behave badly and get away with it. Why can't we? And, and I think you identifying it as a contagion is really the thing that people out there need to need to really grasp the, you know, you folks out there that are, that are listening or watching understand that it is in an in, in infection, you know, it's a, an infestation. It's just this mindset that they think that we are too stupid to govern ourselves. And as such, they're, they're wide open. And, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, Mitch, that you mentioned, uh, uh, Texans for lawsuit reform, you know, the TLR, 
we we literally had someone who is in in the Texas House right now uh, sign the same pledge that you signed two years ago during the last cycle, uh, and had accepted money from TLR, uh, who then got pressured by TLR, said you will not get any more money unless you get your name off of that pledge. And this state representative contacted us at oddly enough the same week as the Republican convention that put two you know our two planks on their platform the same week just would i mean they, they went absolutely ballistic until they pulled the name off of the pledge we almost didn't do it you know because wow. once you pledge you pledge but but that was the that was the leverage from tlr and so you know you're you're spot on man these these packs all of this money um folks you better heed what what mitch is saying right now uh, because this is our future. If we don't get stuck in on this, you're going to relegate our leadership and governance to a lot of people who don't share the same interests that you share. Um, Mitch, let's let's talk a little bit about that Texas First pledge. Um, you know, you and I had had a phone conversation about it, um, and and you did your due diligence. What what was it about the the pledge that really stuck out to you? <laughs> Daniel, the thing that I identified with the most, and I, I don't know um, the other people who sign it or the organizers, I don't know if this was the intended effect, but the real thing that, that jumps out to me is disenfranchisement on the part of the voters. So if we can go back to the impeachment just for a second, I'll use that as an analog for what we're talking about here. So we're in the impeachment trial, and ultimately— the purpose of the impeachment was to overturn and set aside the will of the people. The people knowingly elected Ken Paxton with um, all of all of the things that the media puts out there about him. They knowingly elected him. Almost 4.3 million voters in the state. So when I get to the impeachment trial and I'm coming to the podium, I'm cross-examining people, I'm looking at the House Board of Managers, I'm looking at Jeff Leach, Briscoe Kane, Terry Canales, Oscar Longoria, and Johnson, and the look of hatred in their eyes, the look of hatred was designed to project to you, you are messing up our plan. And what was the plan? The plan was to, I, I don't know, for some of them, advance to the attorney general's office. Well, I'll be the attorney general if Ken Paxton's removed. Uh, to advance, I don't know, to the Texas Senate, United States Congress, it's really avarice that's at the root of that thing. And so Texans for Lawsuit Reform. Why does Texans for Lawsuit Reform have such a problem with allowing voters to decide the, the, the Texit question? It's because they're relying on the stability of the state, the fact that nothing would ever change for pure unbridled capitalism. Let's, let's make sure that nothing changes for us and our money and business interests. Regardless of what the voters think, I would rather prevent the voters from voting about the issue than have to stake out a position one way or the other on. So uh, the thing that uh, the thing that I think we should all hold very carefully is the will of the people of the state of Texas, and and not uh, and obviously we have opportunities as uh, public speakers or officials to guide and nurture the public will. I think that's part of what's entrusted to us. 
But when the voters are telling you something or they want to tell you something, we need to listen. We may not always agree with it, but to prevent them from speaking is just disenfranchisement, plain and simple. So you, when you look at the impeachment issue, the desire was disenfranchisement. When you look at people trying to prevent voters from putting things on the ballot, it's disenfranchisement. Well, and isn't that, I mean, given what you've seen, what we talked about a moment ago about what, what you learned when you went to Austin, um, w- wouldn't you say that that really is kind of the, I mean, if, if the political establishment had a motto, disenfranchisement might might fit the bill, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the attitude, the prevailing attitude, you see it when you're down there. I was, I had not really been exposed to it in my adult life, but when you're down there and you see politicians surrounded by their little phalanx of staff people and hangers on the the attitude is very much thank you voters we'll take it from here well yeah uh, we, we know best our our traditions our our approach we'll you know we'll put democrats in those committee chairs you just wouldn't understand you don't know enough about austin to understand that this is the way things are done thank god that i don't I don't know enough about Austin to think that that's the way things should be done. It's not. Well, I, I will say this, um, Mitch. I, I'm I'm glad that I think I think there are a lot of people who in Texas, Texas voters, even people who vote in the primaries that are very disconnected from it. In other words, the the disenfranchisement worked, but to a certain extent, there there has been a level of civic ignorance out there from people who. You know, they just they kind of they do their thing. They go vote. They they don't know actually how how that sausage is getting made. And if I'm going to quote my wife, um, it's not really sausages getting made. Sausage is actually meat. It's actually uh, a wiener factory God. where it's just lips and buttholes, right? Um, <laughs> so um, you know the the yeah she she slayed me with that one Colorful. by the way. I, Colorful. Yeah. Nah, well, she she's as good at it as I am. So. You know, the, the, the good news here uh, is I think through your candidacy, I think that a lot of people here in Texas are gonna, going to get an opportunity to live vicariously through you in, in your experience with what you've learned from Austin. Because, look, you just you're fresh out of that that swampy mess where, you know, you went in there and you fought a real deal battle and then co- uncovered what I think is inarguably corruption. And so I, I think, you know, your candidacy, uh, other than getting you sent to the legislature, I think is going to help a lot of these voters out there understand the, what's happening in our state capitol in a way that they they never have before. I, I really hope that's true. You know, I'd like to say that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be your brass knuckles. I mean, <laughs> the people that you have in mind who are disenfranchising voters i'm going to be your brass knuckles to deal with those people you know you talk about how this uh i'll call it civic disengagement where voters are they're feeling disenfranchised and they go oh well no one's listening listening to me i'm talking into the void so why should i care about texas politics and i think that there is a there is a mighty will of the people i think there's power in re-engaging with and listening to those people because once they feel once people feel listened to then they will engage they will vote they will act they will give they will block walk um i think the grand message of 
the Texas House of Representatives now is that we don't care about the grassroots. We're not worried about the concerns of the average voter. And uh, that is a recipe for disaster. And at a minimum, it's a recipe for change. And um, I hope to help effectuate some of that change. Well, that's that's uh, exciting. But let's I, I know we, we've got a short amount of time left. But Mitch, um, let, let's talk about some of the other issues that are kind of kind of big for you. We've talked about sort of the, the broader theme, but specifically, do you, do you have do you have some specific issues that you would like to address when you get into the legislature? Yeah. So obviously, the border invasion is front of mind. I'm sure you may have seen the videos from Eagle Pass this morning of just an un, an unconscionable number of people who've already entered the country illegally waiting to be processed. The border invasion needs to be addressed and not with half measures. That's something everyone's concerned about. Uh, school choice, educational freedom is something that's really near and dear to my heart. I think we need to end the public school monopoly in the state. We need to allow we need to allow parents the opportunity to determine how their kids are going to be educated and not just for the wealthy. We need an opportunity for parents who have kids in either failing schools or want to have an opportunity to send their kids, their kid to give them a Christian education or parochial education to do that. And, and we as Texas can do that like the other 33 states who have already enacted some form of school choice and their public school system didn't fall down. It didn't break or crash. Um, right. You know, something that is uh, has been really bothering me lately is the advancement by Republicans with Democrats of uh, casino gambling and sports gambling in this state. We know that what's going to come along with that is sex trafficking and crime. I mean, the, the casinos throughout the United States, the operators of them admit it. They admit that they're sources for those things. So ultimately, Texans in our way of life, we need to be protected by the people who represent us. And and not just uh, have the have the interests of the PACs and the special interests advanced in a legislative session. You know, if people want to really find out what their representatives care about and who they care about, you know, just enter their name into the Google search bar, followed by the word transparency, and figure out who gives them money. You know, the single biggest donor in the last cycle to Dade Phelan was Texas Sands PAC. Texas Sands Pack. And so when we, I mean, there are literally billionaires advancing the advancing the goals of uh, casino gambling, sports gambling. There are billionaires in the state who are trying to, to, to defeat school choice. We have to understand, if you want to understand the legislature, you have to understand where they get their money. You have to understand where they get their money. And so uh, my desire is to reform the process. We can't have a speaker who's elected by Democrats. We can't have uh, an Obama lawyer uh, as parliamentarian in the House. Uh, we need to end taxpayer-funded lobbying. We need to end corporate welfare. All the things that are preventing regular, everyday Texans from achieving the things that they want to achieve. Fantastic. Well, Mitch, um, as we wrap up... Uh, why don't you let everyone know what they can do to uh, to help you get to Austin? Yes. Uh, donate. Give. Volunteer. Uh, please go to my website. It's Mitch Little for Texas, MitchLittleFORTexas.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I think that the next best thing, so as you get to year end and you're trying to figure out your giving, we would obviously love to have your support as we go into the March 5th primary. 
I mean, we need people block walking. We need people greeting at the polls and we're going to have a lot of help. And, uh, you know, I'm the proverbial turtle on the fence post. You just, you know, he didn't get there by himself. And there are a lot of people that are working, uh, alongside me and I'm very thankful to them. And I'm thankful for you and what you're doing for voters in this state. Well, Mitch, I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, it's great to, uh, to get to know you. Uh, and uh, I'm telling you, we're going to be best friends. It's happening. I'm it's looking just, forward to it. I, I'm, I'm will, I'm willing it into existence. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but look, hey, uh, good luck on the. Well, it's not luck. It's, it's work and grinding. And people will put you across the finish line. And, and I'm excited that you not only signed the Texas First Pledge, but that you were in this race and you're in it to win it. So, Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time out for us today. Thank you for letting me be here, and thank you for giving Texas a voice. All right. Uh, again, uh, big thanks to uh, Mitch Little. And, um, man, I, I enjoyed that interview a lot. And, and look, this is sort of the theme that, that we're getting from a, a lot of these challenges, particularly the Texas First Pledge signers. The people are fed up, and the people want to be represented, and they're tired of being treated like mushrooms, like they're being kept in the dark and fed a bunch of BS. They're sick of it. And so what's happening is we're, we're getting candidates like Mitch who went into the swamp, went into that, that, that dysfunction in Austin and saw that Texans are not being adequately represented. And we've got elected representatives that are not putting Texas and Texans first. And so not only is he a pledge signer, or not only is he a candidate, but he is a Texas first pledge signer, and we're happy to have him. Again, a reminder, go check out more of the Texas First Pledge signers at TakeTexasBack.com. That, my friends, is going to be a wrap for Texas News uh, Podcast. And uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for joining us and helping to make this podcast a success. Uh, I'm really enjoying doing these and uh, looking forward to a new year full of them where we come into the next podcast, we'll have petition news. Uh, we, we will either be on the ballot in March or we will be in court fighting to get it on the ballot in March. So, uh, it it is promising to be an exciting time. Either we're going to be in campaign mode or we're going to be in campaign and litigation mode, but either way, uh, it will be exciting and there will be a lot to talk about on the next one. A quick reminder, if you are not already a member of the Texas Nationalist Movement, head over right now to tnm.me slash join. Become a member today. Uh, it is totally worth it to uh, for the, you can, I mean, you can become a member for like $4.21 a month. I mean, it is just uh, a way to keep the movement going, to help us make as much progress as we possibly can. Look, we want to win. And to do that, you heard Mitch say, it takes money to do it. So uh, help us get across the finish line, become a member today. And also, uh, wherever you are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, do all the things, right? Do the like, the subscribe, share it, do all those things, because that helps us spread the word. You heard at the very beginning of this podcast, me talking about uh, Dave Lieber, uh, at the Dallas Morning News and, and being flummoxed that he hadn't heard that over 100 candidates had signed our Texas First Pledge. And, and I told him not to blame us, blame his colleagues, right? 
the mainstream media doesn't want to cover this issue. And so it is your likes and your subscribes and your shares that help us defeat the algorithm and spread the word so that we can bypass mainstream media and get right in the ears and eyes of the people who want this most. You know, they want Texit. They just don't know how they're going to get it. And you could be the person that introduces them to the way that it could happen. Okay, friends, I will end this podcast with the same thing that I I leave you with every time we're together. And it's not my words, it's the words of Sam Houston when he said that Texas will again lift its head and stand among the nations. I believe that time is now, and the question is, will you stand with her?